Morning, Jack. As you heard, all the seats could go out. How they put one? Just uh, myself up here. Lights on. that stood out to me that I think is worth 
repeating. And that comment said was, this song makes me want to believe in something. It seems to touch the soul. So we see that the words of our, our Lord, Scripture, is written to touch the soul. Even if you're an unbeliever, in the most unassuming way, the words will touch your soul. And I hope that our study of Psalm 40 this morning will speak to your soul in the same way. And as a bit of background, before we get into the psalm, we need to recall the life of David. So David was born as the youngest son of, of Jesse from the tribe of Judah. Uh, David grew up as a shepherd. He first gained prominence by playing the harp for King Saul. At the age of 18 or 19, which is amazing to think about, because he was as old as those two guys sitting there. He stepped forward and he killed the Philistine champion, Goliath. And very soon after that, he becomes King Saul's favorite. Um, he also becomes the very close and dear friend to his son, Jonathan. But because of this, Saul becomes um, jealous of David. And... He turns on him and he tries to kill him twice, tries to take his life. But Saul also instructs his army regarding David and they pursue him, they hunt him down and David flees. And through a series of miraculous, miraculous rescues, um, David's life was saved. But many, many countless lives were lost in Saul's pursuit or pursuit of David. Complete towns were just demolished in, in his pursuit of David. So David fled and he spent approximately 10 years in exile, 10 years running from his life. And this is all that happened before, roughly the age of 30, David is crowned as king um, of Israel. Also, the, the structure of Psalm 40 deserves a few words. Verse 1 to 10 of Psalm 40 is David remembering and praising the Lord for past acts and past deliverance. And verse 11 to 17, David turns to his supplication. So he turns to the Lord with what he's going to ask the Lord. And, and it's worth noting and the reason I mention this is because David spends 10 out of 17 verses, so more than half the time he spends just remembering the faithfulness of the Lord and praising the Lord for everything he has done. So our focus for today will just be on the first 10 verses. And so please turn with me to Psalm 40 as we read from verse 1. The words of King David. And I hope that we will see together the reasons why David remembered and praised the Lord for his wondrous deeds. Verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire, 
He set my feet on a rock, and he gave me a firm place to stand. So firstly, I'm not going to do it word by word, but the first three words of the psalm needs a bit of time. I waited patiently. The first word, I. David doesn't start here with we or the whole nation of Israel. He starts with I. And further down, the second half of verse, verse 1 is me. So this is very personal. This is a personal relationship between him and God. This is not us or we, this is I. And I want every message this morning to speak to you personally. Not to your child, not to your husband, but to you. This is a personal reflection of how the Lord engages with each one of us. Then David says, I waited patiently. And what's the significance of waiting patiently? Why is it important that he used those two words? And I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Isaiah 64, verse 4. And this is going to shed light on why waiting patiently is so important and why David is doing that. So Isaiah 64 verse 4. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. So David is here waiting patiently. And this bit in Isaiah is a is a glimpse of our Lord, but it highlights one specific character of the Lord. That the Lord acts on behalf of those who wait on him. So if you, if I, want the Lord to act on my behalf, there's one thing that I have to do is to wait patiently. So in this, the first three words, David's already saying a lot. He's already declaring so much. And how many of us, or how many times have we declared over those three words? I waited patiently. But it really reflects where David's heart is. It just reflects his spiritual condition. So verse 2. What was David lifted out of? He lifted me out of the slimy pit, the mud and mire. Very descriptive. Slimy pit that's easy for us to imagine, isn't it? It's somewhere that you don't want to be. It's slimy, it's yucky. He lifted me out of the mud and mire. You know, the kind of mud that is soft and you sink all the way in and when you pull your foot out, the shoe stays behind. <laughs> that kind of mud that really sucks you in, that doesn't want to let go. That's the kind of mud that David is saying here that he's been lifted out of. So he waited patiently. The Lord turned to him. The Lord heard his cry. 
and the Lord acted. You see how the promise in Isaiah is already coming through in the first two verses of David's psalm. And perhaps you feel like that this morning. Perhaps you feel like you are stuck in a dark place. Perhaps you feel like you've just stepped in the mud and that mud is tucking you in. Maybe you feel like you've pulled your foot out but something of you has stayed behind in that mud and you can't quite get it out. Maybe something more than just a shoe. Maybe you feel trapped in your sin. Maybe you feel helpless. Imagine David for 10 years fleeing from his, for his life. You can imagine why David is using these words. That he is in such a dark place that he describes it as being in a slimy pit, being stuck in the mud. Second half of verse 2, we continue. So David continues to confirm that it was the Lord that turned to him, that it's the Lord that heard his cry, that it's the Lord that lifted him out of the mud, out of the sinking mud. But then the Lord also placed him on a firm rock. The Lord gave him a firm place to stand. So do you see how the act of the Lord, the Lord acts on our behalf when we patient, but he just doesn't act with one thing. He acts with saving you out of your dilemma. And he doesn't leave you there. He saves you out, but he also puts you in a place where you are safe and where you are firm. And he uses the words, he placed me, he placed my foot on a rock. So what might that rock be? Anybody got an idea? The rock of ages, cleft for me. Yes, it's our Lord Jesus Christ. He was saved out of his dilemma and placed on the solid truth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps you've been delivered by the Lord. Perhaps he's saved you from the mud, rescued you out of the slimy pit. Do you still remember that? Do you take time to remember the day that the Lord turned your heart? Do you spend time remembering the depths and the darkness of the pit that you were in and giving praise to the Lord for his rescue? The truth is that in this world, since the fall with Adam, there is only two places to stand. On the rock or in the mud. The world and Satan works very hard to convince you that there's a third place. A third neutral place where you can stand, kind of check things out and determine which way you want to go. But there's not. It's a big lie. There's two places to stand. On the firm truth of our Lord Jesus Christ, crucified, or in the mud. This neutral place 
where you think you are making the decisions, you are in control of your life, you really need it in the night, or shall I say, put it in the night. There's only two places, in the mud or on the rock of Christ. So we continue in verse 3. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in Him. So David here continues to remember and praise the Lord because He's the one that put a new song in his mouth. The Lord is the one that gave him the hymn to praise him. So David's here saying, these very words that we are reading is words that was given to him by the Lord. So if you ever want a truth that the Bible is authored by Christ, David confirms it here. And our, our prayers should follow David's example in this. David continues to remember everything the Lord has done for him. He continues to remember how the Lord turned to him. He remembers how the Lord rescued him, how the Lord gave him further place to stand, how the Lord put a new song in his mouth, a new heart, how the Lord opened him up to the truth. And what we will see is that this is what David's doing in preparing himself to come be- as he comes before God before he even asks for anything. And this is the example for us that we should follow. The second half of verse 3, many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in Him, confirms that the Lord does not just rescue one person. So you should never feel alone in your conviction that Christ is the risen King. The Lord has not raised you or will not call you to be alone. And this is useful to remember when we start doubting our faith. When we think I'm the only one in this workplace that knows Christ. The Lord says no. I've called many and many will see the truth and fear the Lord. And many will put their trust in Him. So don't feel alone. Verse 4, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. And the meaning of false gods here is lies. So blessed are are those that do not turn to lies and to lies. It's amazing how many denominations that are of so-called churches are based on lies. Man-made rules of how to serve God. Empty religion. Verse 5. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. So David, as he's recalling and praising God, he comes to the realization 
that once the Lord opens up your, your memory, you realize that the amount of times he's rescued you is so many times, it's too, too many to even mention. David is overwhelmed by the fact that I thought I was in this dark pit, but as I turn my mind to praising God for all of his goodness, all these things come up, and if I have to speak all of it, I won't have enough time to tell everybody. Isn't that an amazing turnaround from the dark pit to a point where you have so much to praise about that you cannot even speak all of it? A good habit to have is if you struggle remembering, just make a list in the front of your Bible of every time the Lord answers a prayer. You might have heard of that. And that comes from exactly what David is doing here. Because in our sinful state, something has happened with our memory. We are very selective with what we remember. But the Lord, through David's words here, reminds us that we need to remember his faithfulness. Because it does something with us. The Lord has a purpose with it. And that purpose is to give us trust in him and hope so that we can wait patiently for him. That's why we have to remember. We're in verse 6. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burn offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am. I have come, it is written about me, in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. So there's two things to mention about these two verses. The first is verse 6, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. What is happening here? The whole Old Testament is about sacrifice and offerings. And now David says the Lord did not require it. And you find it quite strange that in the middle of the Old Testament, he's making this statement. So what is David saying? What is happening? So David is not going against God's law in any way. He's not minimizing the importance of the law. But what David's doing here is we need to remember that David's speaking about his spiritual condition. And he's emphasizing what our heart condition needs to be with regards to sacrifice. In the middle of verse 6, he says, But my ears you have opened. So why did the Lord not require sacrifice and offering? He opened David's ears to it. In other words, ears is his heart. He opened up his heart to the real reason why sacrifice was needed. So in the Old Testament times, the Lord brought in the sacrificial system so that Israel could visually see the consequence of their sin. And seeing the blood and the innocent animals leaving, uh, losing their life were to move them to repent of their sin. So it was a symbolic um, 
way of showing them what's happening in the spiritual world. What you see, the blood and the smell and the, the terrible fate of that innocent animal is exactly what's happening in your spiritual condition. But what did Israel do? They completely missed the point. They turned it into a religious act of just following the rules and they didn't have the right heart conditions. They didn't really repent. They weren't humble. They didn't realize their spiritual condition. They thought that there was still something good in them. They thought they could still walk the path on their own. They could get themselves out of the dark pit. They could put their foot on the rock. They could get themselves onto the firm ground. And so, the Lord Jesus Christ came as our sacrifice. And we celebrate that with the Lord's Supper. But in so many ways, we also miss the point. We come to church, we sing, we come to the Lord's table. But do we really, in our heart, understand what it's about? The bread that we're breaking, it's not as visual as the, the animals dying and the blood. But it is, in a similar way, a symbolic sign that we can see with our eyes of the salvation that we need, the forgiveness that we need. So when David here talks about the sacrifice, that is what he's referring to, and that the Lord doesn't require mindless religion, following the rules just because somebody said you need to follow the rules. What the Lord wants is a humble heart. The Lord wants us to approach him without presumption. Approach him without saying, Lord, I think you owe me something. I think I deserve something. No. The Lord wants us to approach him saying, Lord, I deserve nothing. You owe me nothing. It's only your grace that covers my sin, my heart condition. The second point here, and why we read from Hebrews 10, is that Jesus quotes these three verses, which make Psalm 40 a messianic psalm. And what does Jesus say about this? He repeats the words sacrifice, offering, sin offering, and he refers to himself. So Jesus confirms that what David was talking about, David was talking about Christ. He was sacrificed for us. His blood was offered on the cross. He was our sin offering. And we, we're moving into closing out the first 10 verses. we in verse 9 now. David says, I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. Do not seal my lips, Lord. As you know, I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving power. I do not conceal your love 
and your faithfulness from the great assembly. So just think of everything that has happened in David's life. We talked about what he's been through. You know, it's been 10 years in exile, running from your life, having nothing. Uh, but David confesses that even through all of that, he sees the saving acts of the Lord. The Lord has rescued him from the hands of Saul. The Lord has saved his life so many times in ways that is not humanly possible. And he's remembering and declaring this to the Lord, saying, Lord, I remember. I have not kept my lips sealed. I have not kept quiet about what is in my heart. You know this. So he's kind of stating an obvious fact to the Lord, keeping on. Obviously knows. He says, I do not hide your righteousness. I speak of your faithfulness to others. Are we like this? Are we so, so eager to speak of the Lord's faithfulness? I know when there's a big sale on, or a new coffee shop opens, or a new game comes out, we're all over it. Either texting or whichever way you do, or you pick up the phone. Have you heard? Mate, it's great. We all do that, don't we? But do we ever start a conversation with, have you heard the great work the Lord has done? Have you heard what the Lord Jesus has done? Hebrews 10 teaches us that the Lord Christ has done this for us. He's our sacrifice. He's our sin offering. Isaiah 64 teaches us that the Lord will act if you wait on him patiently. Not maybe, he will. And if I can find an object that I'm allowed to drop to the ground, I'll ask you, if I hold something here, who of you would agree that it's going to fall to the ground? Everybody. Because we all believe in gravity. We see it every day. It's a fact. But when we say the Lord will act for those who wait on him patiently, for some reason, we doubt that. It's the same Lord, the same God that made that law, that physical law of gravity, he made it. He did the maths on it. He worked out that it's 9.81 something, something, something. It was him. And it's the same Lord that speaks this truth. That if you wait on me patiently, I will act on your behalf. So don't doubt it. What we need to remember this morning, each one of us, not just think back about yesterday or two years ago or even ten years ago like David is but think back on your whole life and remember how the Lord has saved you out of the pit how he has pulled you out of the mud remember and praise the Lord for the new song that he's put in your heart 
remember and praise the Lord for saving you from lies. Remember and praise the Lord Jesus for saving you from false religion. Remember and praise the Lord for the many wonders that he's done in your life, not in others' life, in your life. Remember and praise the Lord for being your sin offering. Remember and praise the Lord for all his saving acts in your life. That is what Psalm 40, the first 10 verses, is showing us. To remember and praise the Lord. When we wait on the Lord, it means that we wait expectantly and with hope. This is the meaning out of Isaiah, where he says, for those who wait on him, it's to wait with a certainty, it's to waiting with expectancy that the Lord is going to act. And so a lot of you would say, okay, that's great to know, but how do I do that? How do I wait with hope? Okay, two things to unpack there is understand that hope and certainty comes from trust. Trust is both when you see somebody that repeatedly makes the right decision that gives you trust. You see somebody repeated, repeatedly doing the right thing that gives you trust that they'll do the right thing. So remembering Faithfulness builds trust, trust builds hope, hope gives you the ability to wait expectantly and patiently. So why do we have to go back and remember and praise God for what he has done? Because remembering builds trust in the Lord. And trust gives us hope. And hope gives us the ability to patiently wait. And when you patiently wait, the Lord promises that he will act on your behalf. So I hope that the psalm has spoken to your soul this morning. I hope that you remember that it's the Lord Jesus Christ alone that listens to you. That it's the Lord Jesus Christ alone that rescues you. Nobody else can listen. Nobody else can rescue. And isn't this great news? Doesn't this lift your heart? That's why we call it the gospel. It's great news. And we need to share it with each other because it's great news. Because we're so eager to share other great news. We should be sharing this great news. Because it's the it's a great deal. It's the best deal of not just the century. It's the best deal ever. Ever. So please be reminded of this this morning. And remember that the Lord Jesus Christ is the only one 
that listens when you call. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the only one that will act and come and rescue you. Amen. Let's pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, through your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ, Lord, we, we praise you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for reminding us that you are faithful, reminding us to keep our eyes on you and not on our problems. Lord, please speak with each one of us this morning that might be in a dark place, that might be in the mud, in a slimy pit. Lord, life is difficult. But you are faithful. And you teach us to remember your faithfulness. Even in small things like the sun rising every day, Lord, you are faithful. Thank you for the encouragement that comes with it. Thank you that it gives us trust in you and trust for hope and hope, patience, to wait on you expectantly. We praise you for your goodness as our Lord and our King. In Jesus' name, Amen.